Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ben, stop eating crackers. Hour number two is coming up. How's it going, everybody? Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday. Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday. Whoa, it feels so super in here. Super. Can you name three states that are having primaries tonight? Arkansas. Wow. California. D- dang. Wait up. Uh, Colorado. What? Give him a cookie. That's really well done. Thanks. How did you know that? It's called reading the news. <laughs> wow, man. <laughs> I, I'm really impressed. Oh, Because you didn't great. even name, like, Big Daddy. Which oh, is Big Daddy. Big Daddy. Not Wig Daddy. Big Daddy, which is... Who's California got the most delegates of any state in the country. I think Come on. I, I think I did name California. But anyway, oh, I thought you said Colorado. I did say Colorado and California. Yeah, negative. Let's go back. Arkansas. Ooh, maybe oh, guys, isn't this entertaining? Huh? Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, <laughs> March 3rd, featuring Troy LaRavier, Candace Castillo, and new music is just moments away. Yeah, but before we get into that, we got to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and sponsoring this humble program. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, are sponsors. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, sponsor this program, as well as our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. The Ben Jarofsky Show, hour number two, starts now. Cue the brand new music. By the way, if you're listening right now and you create music and you want us to play it on the show and you won't sue us, oh boy, <laughs> we'll play it. We will play it. The big part is don't sue us. Yeah, let's highlight that part at the end. <laughs> no suing. Yeah, a local band, if you know anybody, we need music. Our good friend Michael sent us this music. He made all of this. The drums, the bass, the guitar, this dude's got skills. The song's called Bad Benny J. All right. The Ben Jarofsky Show, hour number two. Let's go. It is Tuesday, March 3rd. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, Troy LaRavier is back. I repeat, Troy LaRavier is back. <laughs> and it's the long-awaited return of political strategist, Candace Castillo. And now your host, <laughs> all right, Troy LaRavier <laughs> approves of the new theme song. Nice, I like that. I like the bass. That is nice. Mm-hmm. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. I do indeed like the it bass. It goes with your old feel too, man. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it does. But that bass line is some, it's straight out of a song, and I hear it. Don't get us another copyright strike. No, no. I just See, Troy, here's what happened. 
First of all, welcome back to the show. One of my favorite guests. Great Troy to be Lorraine. back. Uh, regular on the show as long as I've been ever near a microphone. Troy's been on the other side of the table for me. Um, all right. So we've been playing a song for a year that Dennis found uh, in on the internet. I don't know where he found it, but he found it. It had a nice little funky sound to it. We enjoyed it. And then uh, out of the blue, we got a essentially a cease and desist letter uh, from uh, having to do with copyright infringement. Apparently, the song was not in the public domain. It wasn't protected. I, I, I well, I'm kind of, like I said, I'm kind of mining the field blindly here. So they just gave us a hit, and they didn't really say what it was for. So I'm just like, you know, pro so, the process here. Let's okay, yeah. let's stop this music that we were playing before. But I think it's from uh, ABC. That's what I think. That's his new theory. Anyway, um, we, we play clips. Let's just think about this one for Troy. Get your mind on this one. I know you're not a lawyer, but you deal with legal issues all the time. I do. So from time to time, we've been known to play um, uh, bits of advice offered up by your favorite mayor, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, uh, in his new gig, <laughs> new gig as great thinker for ABC TV. I don't know if you know this, but uh, he is now a pundit. And he goes, I'm not making any of this up. He's on the show uh, once, like every other week, with Chris Christie, another great mind from the state of New Jersey. <laughs> so ABC TV, Troy, they said, who can we get who just like nobody likes uh, and have basically bounced out of their last office to give advice to the Democrats as to how to beat Donald Trump? I know we'll go with the disgraced former governor of New Jersey and the disgraced former mayor of the city of Chicago. Take a chill pill, man. Oh, sorry, Ron. Uh, anyway, so we've been playing clips of, of Rom and Chris Christie offering advice to the Democrats. Why would any Democrat, Troy LaRavie, take advice from Rahm Emanuel or Chris Christie? Anyway, and Dennis's theory is that ABC TV is sending in their lawyers because somehow or other we're violating the copyright. I'm not sure I buy that. That's just a working theory. Do you have any uh, insights to offer from your many years of dealing with lawyers? Um, a couple. And I don't know if any of them are worth the time okay. it takes to listen to them. Um, with, 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 with Ram and Chris, yeah, I think that an establishment was behind them. And that establishment is still propping them and what they have to say up. Like, um, I see them as both conservatives, and conservatives have this thing. We liberals like to sort of live our worldview. Conservatives, conservatives like to promote their worldview, uh, and they're always promoting their worldview, and it's part. It's why they win more than they should. We try to live our values; they promote their values, and so Rom and Chris Christie being on a weekend talk show is just another way to promote their values. So that's maybe that's worth listening to. I don't know. That is worth listening to. I wrote it down. I have to think about it. The difference between living a value and promoting a value. I mean, I mean, they live them too, but uh, but, but but we fail to promote ours. Like we just try to live them. We spend a lot of resources on, you know, trying to you know provide services to the poor rather than promoting the value behind trying to do that. Like, what is the the, the, the worldview that needs to be promoted. Like, we don't do that. Conservatives will promote a worldview. They come up with the language. They'll word it. Like, they'll, 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 they'll come up with a phrasing that's the exact opposite of what they actually do, but it promotes their, their way. You know, it's like, um, you know, Fox News is a great example, you know, where they, you know, the no spin zone. That's everything. It's all spin, right? It's a, it's, that's not the values part, but it's a good example of how they message things. Um, Tax, uh, tax burden. That's a Republican created phrase, tax burden, that we in 
as um, progressives even use sometimes to the detriment of the messaging that we what tax. It's it's a responsibility. It's an investment. It's not a burden. At least if you're you know investing those taxes and they're being controlled by a group of people who are actually responsible with them. Uh, assuming that's ha- happening, it's not a burden. It's an investment. But that terminology was. Uh, deliberately crafted, developed research in order to get people to to adopt a conservative Republican worldview about what taxes are, their va- the value they put in public investments, which is no, no value at all unless they're going to the military-industrial complex. Uh, and so they create language and wording, and they get it out there relentlessly ad infinitum. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. Yes, and that's, a, that's an excellent point. Uh, and I'm gonna, when, you, when you said that, I thought immediately of the debates. I've watched every debate, and in each case, uh, the moderate Democrats on stage would pound away at Bernie on how are you going to pay for your health care plan. He still hasn't told us, ladies and gentlemen, how he's going to pay. That's Joe Biden. And then Amy Klobuchar, the numbers don't add up. And they keep relentlessly pounding him. How are you going to, because that's the point that you just said. They are buying into this notion of a tax burden. They've taken a Republican created theme, yes. which was probably emerged out of you know, some kind of focus group. Think tank. Yeah, Think right. tank, which was tested in a focus group. Absolutely. And, and they're just reinforcing it in the minds of Democratic voters that you cannot realistically achieve your political goals of being elected to office unless you confine yourself to doctrines that fit within this Republican talking point. Exactly. And again, back to the original point, uh, Chris Christie and Rahm Emanuel are are, are good vehicles, effective vehicles, um, no matter how disgraced they are. It doesn't matter if you're disgraced. It matters that people keep hearing the talking point over and over and over again until it dominates um, the majority of the worldviews out there. And if it dominates a person's worldview, then it dominates their political decision-making and it dominates and has a big influence over the decisions they make in the, at, at the ballot box. All right. Uh, we, I, w- I definitely want to get into more of the national politics uh, with you. Candace Castillo will be joining us in a little while. Uh, so I'd like to hold off on that discussion until she's here. Talk about Super Tuesday. Talk about uh, South Carolina saving, quote unquote, the irony of black voters coming to the rescue of Joe Biden and uh, saving his campaign is a deep one and a profound one. Love to get your thoughts on that uh, and what you expect. It makes for- me sad. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, but yes. <laughs> I mean, it makes me it, sad. Uh, it, isn't that wild, though, Troy? I mean, yes. it's he was saved by black voters in South Carolina. Joe Biden. Uh, why does it make you sad? I mean, you said it. We might as well go there. Um, just the state of political consciousness and awareness of who the people, I mean, not just Biden, but, you know, in general. Um whose interests are served by the policies of what candidate, uh, what their histories are. There just doesn't seem to be much of a knowledge of them uh, at all um, for people to turn, particularly, I won't say black people in general, but the majority of African-American people, I would imagine, would benefit far more from the policies of Bernie Sanders than they would Joe Biden. But there's not an awareness of that. You know, people don't pay a, you know, people don't pay attention to politics. You know, white people too, really. Um, the way, 
you know, the people in our world, the world that you inhabited, the world that I inhabit, the people we talk to pay attention to this kind of thing. But the vast majority of people pay attention to politics when presidential election season comes around and what they pay attention to is what the TV and the commercials put in front of them. And that's all they have to go by. Uh, so it makes sense that they would come to the rescue of Biden. Um, but it's sad in the sense that it's a reflection of a very limited sense of who this man is and who his opponent, who his opponent is and what the histories are in relationship to fighting for the things that would benefit uh, the vast majority of people, including you. Mm. It's sad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll end it there. We're probably going to come back to it. I wrote it down uh, when Candace is here. Uh, it, it, by the way, is kind of a theme in today's show. We started off the show by talking about a poll that uh, Kim Fox campaign released. She was very proud of that. Says, obviously, they released it that showed Kim Fox, uh, Cook County State's attorney, uh, ahead of her second place challenger, uh, Bill Conway, 39 to 28, and uh, 18% of the vote was undecided. And I was laboring to figure out what that 18% indicated. And my reigning theory is that rough that's a good chunk of the population that has absolutely no idea what the race is mm -hmm. you know just as a vague notion of what so the easy way out is to say i'm undecided uh and lord knows if they're even going to vote that's what i was thinking that's yeah. the first thing that came to my head they're probably not going to vote and not in this election yeah a primary yeah you're undecided for primary you're not going anywhere yeah so uh <laughs> that was my first uh or they're lying and they're ashamed to admit who they're voting for which is Dennis's theory about white people when it comes to uh, Trump. They lie because they're a little embarrassed to admit they're for Trump. Mm. Uh, that's the Dennis theory. And my theory, of course, which I throw out to everybody and nobody buys, is uh, that black people, particularly black men, lie to pollsters when they say they're going to vote for Donald Trump. This is a bizarre little phenomenon. Well, that's a well-researched phenomenon, that black people lie to pollsters. That is well-researched. There's research out there to show that polling black people is just not a good way to figure out <laughs> how black people are going to vote. You know, I can't say that from experience. I've never lied to a pollster. Have so you ever I, been polled? By yeah. A, you have? Uh, a couple times. Um, I can't even remember who they were, to be honest. Um, I definitely got a call from Hillary's people when she was running. Um, but... Um, I can't say it from any direct experience and talking to other black people. I just happen to know that um, based on the research that uh, of how black people respond to polls and how the voting actually turns out, it's an extremely unreliable way to measure where black people are. Does the research indicate uh, what the motivations are or what the, you know, why they're voting or what they're covering up? When you vote, when you lie, you're covering something up or concealing something. Did, did the research indicate any of that? Um, I am certain they discussed it, but I don't remember yeah, okay. what they discussed. I'm certain they did discuss it, though. All right, let's do a little local conversation. You're the head of the uh, Principals Association since the last time. Yes, I am. Uh, last time you were in the show, a big uh, brouhaha has emerged from Lincoln Park High School, one of my favorite high schools in the city of Chicago. Yes. And that's on the north side of Chicago for our listeners who are not from the city. And uh, it's really... I think reinforces the point you made in passing the last time you were on the show, Troy, that teachers need a union. I mean, principals need a union. Yes. Uh, I believe that was my first reaction. Uh, so if you can, just summarize what went down at Lincoln Park High and the impact it had on the principals. 
Um, so CPS called in the um, principal and assistant principal for a meeting downtown and handed them a termination letter, two termination letters. One of them was a, a basic termination letter uh, letting them know that they were uh, terminated without any kind of um, accusation. And then the other one was slightly more specific in saying that you've been terminated because of um, uh, alluding to some kind of misconduct without mentioning what the misconduct was. Um, and uh, both of them were in shock, uh, they told me, and they've said repeatedly during interviews. Um, and in the month or two since this has happened, CPS still uh, has not told them um, exactly what they are charged with doing. They've put out a lot of vagaries in the press to attack their character. Lots of uh, vague charges like retaliating against the student. And, and in my response, in their response, what did I do? <laughs> uh, failing to report at report. What did I fail to report? I mean, what is your evidence of this? And that's what CPS has failed to do. Uh, provide any evidence whatsoever or any specific charge mm -hmm. in terms of what exactly, not some vague reporting, about, but what did I fail to report? They haven't provided any specific charge, let alone specific evidence to back up the charge. And, you know, the way I say it, Look, you know, I've been a principal, I've been a teacher. I wasn't a math teacher, but I've been around enough math teachers to know when you turn in math work, you have to show your work. And if you don't show your work, you get no credit, right? No, no, you don't show the work, you get no credit. And I say the same to CPS. Show your work, Janice Jackson. Show your work, Office of Student Protections, or as we call them, the Office of Secret Prosecutions. <laughs> show your work. And... Up to this point, they have failed to show their work, and I have come to believe they can't show their work because they didn't do any work. That this is all, these all these charges are paper tiger. They thought they could get away with it. They misjudged it, and now they're trying to hold on. You know, there is no holding on to this. You have no evidence. You went after these people for whatever reason, scapegoating them to make it look like you were doing something so that the Office of Civil Rights would get off your back, uh, give people the perception that you're trying to do something when you're probably, not probably, you are the problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've got research on that since I've last been on the show. We poll principles. Well, let me, before I get into that, but finish this point about showing your work and giving people evidence to back up. It, it's, it's like CPS is some totalitarian, undemocratic regime, man. That what they do, they got no due process whatsoever. That's a basic right in America. If you're going to take someone's life, their liberty, or their pursuit of happiness, which is like their employment liberty, mm -hmm. you must have a hearing where evidence is presented mm -hmm. and they have to have a chance to respond to that evidence. Face their accuser. They got none of that from CPS and they just ran roughshod over their their lives, their reputations, their careers with not one lick of due process, not one piece of evidence. How in the hell does that get done in America? You know, it's as if they sort of adopted 
the view of our president. Like, I just do what I want to do. <laughs> I have the power to do it, and I'm going to do it. That's what CPS is, man. Um, and so that's what they did to them. And so in the wake of this, we, let me ask you a second question too. Uh, principals are pissed. Principals are pissed. Um, they're scared. People are like, it's like they're angry and scared at the same time. It's like they can just walk in and do this to you. No, no charges, no hearing, no evidence. Like what's, what's going to stop them from doing this to me? And so what you have are people who are like, I have to get the hell out of here. Before these people ruin my career, if they can do this to John, if they can do it to Michelle, they can do it to me, I have to find a way out. John and Michelle are the assistant principal and the principal uh, exactly. at Lincoln Park High School. John Thewitt and Michelle Brumfield. And so okay. I have, and so students across, they've created, created basically destabilization across the district where people just want to get the hell out. Now, young people are going to lose some of the best leaders they'll ever see. And who in the hell is going to want to come into these positions? Well, uh just to uh, get a little more specific, and really there is not, it's hard to get specific in this particular instance, folks, because as Troy is saying, there are no specifics have been released, but there's this general notion that's been sent out that something uh, untoward happened regarding se sexual harassment and that the school didn't handle it correctly. Uh, and there was a lawsuit filed by a parent, I believe, of a student. Uh, again, because these are all minors, we don't. There's no names, so I'm just speaking in these generalities because I don't have the specific information. Mm -hmm. uh, but this notion that something uh, in the in the in the category of sexual harassment took place, and that the principal did not handle it adequately. That's the most general accusation that has made. And Janice Jackson, the head of the CPS, and the, the leadership of CPS, I think Lori Lightfoot has weighed in as well, has essentially said, you have to trust us on this. We're right. Hell we no. know. Hell no. What have they done to deserve our trust? You know, I'm not here, frankly. Uh, I've met uh, Michelle, beautiful human being. I've talked to John over the phone. Seems like a good man. I am actually not here to defend them. What I am here to defend is the process for determining right from wrong, truth from fiction. That's what Amer That's at the heart of what America is supposed to be. You're not supposed to be able to take someone's life without a process. You're not supposed to be able to take their liberty without a process, their job without a process, their freedom without a process. There's been no process here. That's what I'm here to protect. That's what I'm here to highlight. They have to give these people a process. There's no trust you. Like, there is no trust you here. You didn't, we, what we all know is you did not give them a process. We know that. Doesn't matter what evidence you have. Doesn't matter if we can trust you to, that it's right. Maybe it is. You still did not give them due process. Mm -hmm. And so if you can get away with that with them, if CPS is a government body. If government can do it to them, they can do it to you, they can do it to you, they can do it to you, they can do it to me. We all have to be enraged at this because if someone were to accuse you of something, you out there listening to this podcast, if someone were to accuse you of something, what is the process from determ for determining whether that accusation is true or false or just the accusation just become you, whether it is true or not, whether there's evidence or not? The thing that we have in this country to protect you from that is a process. 
and there is no trusting them because you there is no doubt you didn't give them a process. Uh, and by the way, the part of the reason that Troy uh, is so passionate on this issue is that a very similar thing happened to him when he was principal. I wrote about it, talked about it. We've uh, discussed it. Uh, before he became the head of the Principals Association, he was the principal of uh, Blaine Elementary. And I believe, Troy, uh, they cooked up a case against you because, for political reasons, you were outspoken in your opposition to Mayor Rahm. Uh, you were outspoken in your support for Bernie Sanders. Uh, and so they cooked up a case against you. Something else is going on here. <laughs> yes. Because I don't think it's politics. I don't know the two people involved. I don't believe they have any... Uh, politics the way you did you know and everybody no, always said it to you troy you know they said it to you they they go <laughs> you're gonna get in trouble with that big mouth of yours talking to ben jarofsky you're gonna get in trouble and they cooked the case against you but so i don't know the, the lincoln part thing is so baffling and i and i said i've said this from the get-go it's counterintuitive they had this case. They, they they made this accusation. They removed the people from office. Lori Lightfoot said, "Trust me." Janice Jackson said, "Trust me." And Lori then- Lightfoot should know better. I can see Janice saying something that's stupid. Our mayor should not be saying "trust me" in a matter where no due process was given. That she is too smart for that. She she ran on a platform that was too high f- to stoop that low. Janice, I'm used to her going that way. Lori Lightfoot should be ashamed of herself. Uh, and a point I was just going to uh, finish on uh, was that the students walked out in support of the principal. So that's the counterintuitive part. Like they said, trust me, there's something bad happened. And then the students walked out in support of the principal, which gave me pause. Well, maybe I, there's more to the story than they're officially uh, letting on. That might be. You know, at the end of the day, even if they have whatever they say they have, if you have it, why didn't you give them a process? Yeah. By the way, uh, it gets back to the issue of should principals have a union. Uh, if a teacher is called uh, on the carpet for one reason or another, uh, generally the union provides representation in the form of a, a bargaining, whatever they call bargaining agent who can sit in and uh, be in, represent the, the teacher. Grievances, there are grievances. all these procedures that are available At any point, did your association get to sit down on behalf at... Uh, on behalf of the principal and the assistant principal at Lincoln Park High. That's the crazy thing, because there is process. You know, there are these pre-meeting, pre-discipline meetings. Our attorney goes in. Um, we just had a couple uh, this week where CPS was, um, um, a principal supervisor was charging two folks with just ridiculous uh, charges um, in relationship to protecting a student. Um principal had the, the staff go to the kid's house to make sure the kid got home safely and also to talk to the mother. Um, and they charged, they tried to charge the principal with something related to releasing the kid to someone in the house who was not on the form for picking up a kid for school. Well, they weren't at the damn school. The kid was at their own house <laughs> and the person was at the house. Uh, and also charging them with something in relationship to um, not being able, not trying, not contacting the mother. They went to the house <laughs> to get the mother. They didn't just pick up. They went to the house. Insane. Anyway, uh, we went in to represent um, the this particular uh, principal, um, and it seemed to go well. I don't suspect that any discipline will be there. We were able to argue the evidence and the facts. Mm-hmm. Right. If you got the, it's an interesting case where the fact they had the, they didn't have the facts and they gave the principal a hearing. 
uh, or this process. And it showed that the facts were on the principal sides. And so I would imagine there's not going to be any discipline here. We'll see what the hearing officer decides. But in the case of Thewitt and Brumfeld, Italy apart. there was no process whatsoever. And so, yes, normally when there is a process, we sit in and we represent their interests in that process. Mm-hmm. There just was no process this time. With a union, there is more there are more protections other than just that hearing process. Like there are grievance procedures, uh, arbitration, mm-hmm. there's there are ways to appeal decisions that principals just don't have. Um, and of course, there are contract provisions, things in the contract that CPS has to abide by when taking steps against the teacher. Principals have no contract that CPS has to abide by when taking steps toward removing or disciplining. Mm-hmm. Other um, than the contract that the principal has with the individual, individual school, school board. Yeah. Well, school, uh, well school council principals, contract. maybe yes. time that you think about uh, forming a union. Uh, I say this uh, as I would point out principals, if you're listening out there, you know, the, the I'm just looking in journalism. More and more uh, newspapers and uh, journalistic associations are forming unions. My brothers and sisters, Chicago Tribune formed a collective bargaining unit. Mm-hmm. That would have been unthought of, unthinkable, Troy, 10, 15 years ago. And the reality of the workforce uh, in the age of Trump is something you should think about, principals. I don't think principals need to be convinced. We surveyed our principals, um, 97% support wow. uh, a union for principles, support collective bargaining rights of a union for principles. We survey members and non-members. 97% of our members supported, 96% of our non-members supported. And the interesting thing, ever since this whole Michelle Brumfield thing came out, and I went to the board, uh, this Lincoln Park thing came out, and I went to the board to call the board out on this whole process. Mm-hmm. And I remember I sent the video out to our members uh, we've gained almost 70 members in less than a month. Like that's, I mean, there only, there were only about 500 out there who weren't members, maybe 400 out there who weren't members. Um, and we getting back to the collective bargaining, we put a bill, we wrote a bill, you know, cause they have collective bargaining for principals in New York. They have it in California. They have it in Maryland, Connecticut, New Hampshire, um, New Jersey, um, I believe Michigan. There's about 20 states where principals and assistant principals have the right to bargain collectively. In fact, the uh, U.S. News and World Report uh, top education states, they come out with their top education states, K-12 through education, every year. Every one of the top five states gives collective bargaining to school administrators. Four of them explicitly give it to principals. Um, and so the schools that get the best education results all give collective bargaining rights to their principals. Oh, my God. You 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 sound like me. Uh, we're going to end this particular conversation. Take a break. Bring Candace on. You sound like me back in the day when I'd be fighting with the charter school. Uh, the charter school advocates who would be telling me that charter schools do a better job of uh, with kids and their test scores. And I would just point out like every single 
high scoring suburban school just about had a union it was a collective bargaining That's association right. the charter school's response was habit habit they had no response humming 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 all right we are going to take a break should i read this now d or should I read it after? Hey, the isn't break? there some event going on that you? Uh, I guess the answer is yes. You mentioned it last week. I just can't remember. Let me tell you this right now, young man. Please Eroding do. beaches on Chicago's lakefront, warmer winters in the Upper Midwest, microplastics in our water. What can any one person do? Our what best... can any one person do? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Our best hope for saving the planet in ourselves is through the power of we. No, I didn't say power of weed. Get your head on right. right, Power of weed. Get to the ninth annual One Earth Film Festival, the Midwest premier environmental film festival. It's March 6th through the 15th. What day is that again? March 6th through the 15th? Very good. There's 26 films, 48 events, four counties. Engage with filmmakers and experts. Venues include Tesla Gold Coast, Loyola University, Plant Chicago, Old St. Patrick's Church, Chicago Cultural Center, Lake Theater in Oak Park, and more. Go to OneEarthFilmFest.org. That's OneEarthFilmFest.org. Candace Castillo joins the conversation with Troy LaRavier when we return. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. Chicagoland Cremation Options.com. One more time. Chicago landcremationoptions.com. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. All right, as we speak, there are a crap load of states placing their Democratic primary votes, and we would like to invite all of you listening at the moment to join Ben Jarofsky and our Chicago Reader colleague Maya Dukmasova at the Chicago Reader Super Tuesday Watch Party. It's going down at the Promontory, 5311 South Lake Park Avenue tonight. There will be food for purchase. And as I said earlier, so much political punditry. I'm not sure if you'll be able to handle it all, everybody. The event starts at 6 p.m. tonight, and it goes all the way until 8. Ben and Maya will be discussing the results as they come in live tonight. So join us. I mean, if you're just planning on hanging and watching it at home anyway, might as well go join us. Uh, at the Promontory, and as I said earlier as well, all of our Mayor Pete, Amy Klobuchar, and Tom Steyer supporters, don't worry, there's alcohol, all right? Drink your sorrows away at this event tonight. It's Chicago Reader's Super Tuesday Watch Party at the Promontory, 5311 South Lake Park Avenue. Google it, get there, and let's have a good time. And as always, you can watch it live on both the Ben Jarofsky Show and Chicago Reader Facebook pages.
Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. And to remind everybody, Jeanette Taylor, Alder Women of the 20th Ward, will be there. Delmarie Cobb, political strategist extraordinaire, will be there. I believe Candace Castillo may be there as well. Uh, and uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of people with strong opinions and the ability to express and articulate them will be there. It'll be uh, a very interesting night as the, the votes uh, roll in all these uh uh, primaries here tonight. Uh, Candace Castillo, welcome to the show. Troy LaRavier is still here. And uh, I, I promise that we were broadening the conversation. Troy and I were really on a riff about politics here in Chicago, school politics, the way the CPS uh, treats its principals and whether the principals should have a union. We'll put that... Uh, Wait, one more thing about that before you put it away. We wrote a bill um, and it is being sponsored by Representative Rob Martwick. State Senator Rob Martwick. State, yes, State Senator Robert Martwick um, in the Senate. It was filed a week and a half ago. And the interesting thing is Robert Martwick heard about the existence of that piece of legislation sitting right in the seat where Candace was <laughs> on this show. Yes, he did. Uh, and so we're certainly going to be asking people for their support for that bill. Should principals have a union? Should principals have collective bargaining rights? Absolutely. It's crazy that they don't. Most managers in job places should have some collective bargaining rights of their own. Um, there's some contracts that are wall-to-wall -wall contracts throughout the United States. I'm not saying that anybody needs to have a wall-to-wall -wall contract, but everybody in the building needs to be represented. So, yes, principals should have a union. No, there should be no we fire at will. For what? that that's not the way this works. Well, I, uh, when Troy mentioned the union possibility, Candace, the last time I was on the show, it kind of blew my mind. I said it right out there, if I mean, I just like, principles in a union? And Troy knows this, where I come from this, traditionally tr uh, principles have sort of been acted the, the role or given the role as like act precinct workers, if you will, for the powers that be in the city of Chicago. And when Troy LaRavier emerged as a with a different perspective, the, the the assumption was he won't keep his job long. Someone's going to fire him, <laughs> which, by the way, proved true. Two years it took. Uh, but That's a long time. And union organized in three years. That's a long time. <laughs> Usually you get fired in the first three months. <laughs> I mean, especially in schools. Maybe it was because I was in the South when I was organizing schools. But, uh, yeah, it, it don't take no time. Good job hanging in there for three years. <laughs> He hung in there for three years. Then Rom said, let's get rid of him. That's a lot of time. Yeah. I mean, look, the the, uh, the Heritage Foundation, the Black Alliance for Educational Options, the Latino Alliance for Educational Options, both funded by the Heritage Foundation, has done a number on American education. I organized teachers in post-Katrina New Orleans. I organized charter school teachers. I can run a gamut on educational advocacy all day. But what I will say is principals need to have collective bargaining rights, especially as these school systems change and principals are being pushed not to be principals. Let's just put it like that. So as these school system changes, yeah, they need a they need a voice. They need a seat at the table. And they're the people in the classroom. It's too many people who are not in the school building at all that has a voice in what happens in our school children's mm -hmm. classrooms. So as a CPS parent, 
I want my principal and assistant principal to have a voice. Mm. All right, well, uh, Troy, you should know that Candace Castillo is the uh, chief of staff to Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor. So if you're looking for local support, that may be somewhere to go. Uh, all right, let's move to uh, Super Tuesday. And while we were at the break, uh, Candace offered uh, an interesting take on what went down in South Carolina, alluding to an article that was, or an essay that was in The Nation uh, that, uh, well, why don't you uh, articulate the point you made? And we'll have the discussion. Go. So there was an article in The Nation that basically boiled down to, look, it's not that Southern voters are, un Southern black voters are uneducated. It's that they don't trust young white people. And guess what? They have a point. I don't care if you support Bernie Sanders or not. So I put this up on Facebook and somebody pushed back that Bernie Sanders should have been in Selma. Look, there is, there are educated, very educated Southern black people, very politically involved Southern black people. And just because they disagree with you does not mean that they're uneducated or don't know their rights or don't know who Biden is or what he has done. Yes, we are the most forgiving voting bloc. That is true. Black people are, but we also are not a monolith in what we see and what we want to do. And in a lot of times when we followed young white people on what they have put up, it has not worked out the best for us. So I think Bernie should have been at the Bloody Sunday rally. Period. Yeah, oh, it was said that he went before and we don't need just a photo op. You're right. You don't need a photo op. But if you are appealing to people under the age of 30, you can re-educate. Yes, even a white guy educating black people on what Bloody, Bloody Sunday is. And young people may have taken a different type of interest. Young white people, too, would have taken a different type of interest just by virtue of him being there. But we don't need another photo op. That is that rubs me totally the wrong way. So, yeah, I I really want the words that uh, Ben can't say, Bernie bros, to have several seats. <laughs> I can't say the word, I can say Bernie and I can say bros, but I but can't you put can't them together. Say them together. <laughs> I think there's a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters who, I, they need to tuck their privilege in because they're showing right now. Hmm. Troy, you have thoughts? Yeah, my thoughts are pretty much the opposite. <laughs> 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 Number one, I think that it's interesting that we have found this way to try and attack Bernie Sanders by sort of trying to give a name to a group of his supporters. No other candidate gets that. Like Biden has, I'm sure Biden has assholes who support him. I'm sure Warren does. But for Bernie, for whatever reason, we've sort of crafted this narrative and given a name so that we and we put Bernie's name on it right Bernie bros so that we can attack Bernie through the actions of some of his supporters who may or may not be in line with what Bernie believes mm -hmm. and I can say that from experience I'll never forget being at the Democratic National Convention and these people you would call Bernie bros and in 2016 yeah and there were a lot of women who were among them there was a text that came out from Bernie do not disrupt the floor. Do Bernie Sanders is asking you this from the bottom of his heart. Do not disrupt the floor. Don't disrupt when Hillary goes up. We, you know, we have to unite behind her because Trump cannot be our president. Bernie was clear. 
Yeah, he could not have been more clear. He came in to give us all a speech, the thousand of us in this room. And when he got to that point where he said, we have to support Hillary, we, I didn't do it, but I was in the room. So booed him, booed Bernie, right? So like, how can you blame him for them booing him? <laughs> if you can't blame Bernie for his supporters booing him, then you can't blame him for all this other stuff that some of this other stuff that you see sort of the most sort of radical or whatever of his. So it's like you crit critique them, critique that. But let's not try to pass them off as Bernie. You hear what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's what you're doing. I'm saying that's what I've seen. Because frankly, I didn't hear you do that. Yeah. But I heard it done quite a bit. So that's the first part of it. The second part in terms of what I disagree with that you said is this idea. It reminds me of what the charter schools do when, you know. Uh, Did he just compare me to a charter school? Yeah, you get yeah, your response. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm 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 so when, when people come out Clean and talk up, about. <laughs> when people come, I'm not cleaning anything. I'm going to say exactly how I mean it. When folk come out, I'm never, I, they do this all the time. When folk come out. And they talk about black parents and their choices, you know, and these parents choose charter schools. These parents chose those the charter schools. They chose it. And then a lot of people who are pro-public will say, well, these parents don't know about X. They don't know about Y. They're probably not aware of all these horrible practices. And then they come out like, oh, and so you don't think these parents are educated enough or you don't think you're you're. You're, you're insulting the intelligence of these parents by saying that they don't have what it takes to pick the best school for their children, right? You know, and I know that that's a BS argument, that many of the same people who are picking these charter schools are the same people who go to payday loan stores. Like, people make bad decisions. People are in some, I wouldn't call it uneducated because that's a, a rough word to just put on people, but people make decisions with a limited amount of information. Mm -hmm. Decisions that are not always in their best interest, whether they be poor black people, poor white people, it happens. Mm -hmm. And so when someone then goes and says, so that's what it reminded me of. And so to bridge the analogy, here you have people who we're saying who voted for Joe Biden. And we're saying something similar to the folks who support public education. We don't know if these people had all the information they needed to have. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, because we're now on the side of the person who are not on the side of the person we wanted them to pick. Now all of a sudden there are these highly educated people who know, like we have to pick a side. Either people can make decisions that are not in their best interest because they don't have the best information or they can't, but we can't switch sides. We can't switch our analysis depending upon what the issue is. But here you go, here's the difference. Whose job was it to make sure that the people were educated on all they needed to be educated on, on Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or any other candidates? That's the campaign's job. If the campaign already conceded South Carolina to say, ah, oh, the black people, we not gonna win, and didn't go into those communities and educate like they should, then that's still on the campaign. Then the buck stops with the candidate that still stops with Bernie Sanders and not none of the bros, period. You're creating a different argument. I am not You're creating, creating an entirely argument. different argument. I am not creating a different argument. You You're saying that they were supposed to be educated. That's 
that's not they what I said. Known. That's not what I said. You're doing a Janice Jackson on me now. You're trying uh, to create my Janice. argument for me. Now Janice. Charter <laughs> like, schools and now That's Janice. what you're doing. Charter schools and Janice. My argument is not that they're supposed to. I'm Janice. My argument is not that they're supposed to know. My argument was that they didn't have the information. And if they right? didn't have the information, whose fault is that? That's a separate argument, right? The original thing you were saying was that it's not that they didn't have the information, that these people are making intelligent choices. They're making informed choices. And so I'm going back and saying, let's challenge that thought, that let's look at the reality here that it's possible that they didn't have information. And if we can agree on that, then we can go into who's responsible for ensuring I that think they have it. I think it's both and. I don't, I'm, I think it's both and. I don't think it's, I, I think, I think it's both and. I think you have to look at some of these campaigns and some of these campaigns, and it's not just Bernie's campaign, conceded the South long time ago. Um, Amy Klobuchar got out the race because if we don't talk about the Black Lives Matter action at one of her events in Minnesota, which she didn't want to be the next day's news, and she knew it was easier to get out the race than actually have that discussion. Same thing with Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete had no black votes. So when you looked at the rest of the map, they knew they couldn't make it any further, period. You don't so, get an argument from me on that. So You're talking I'm about not I'm not a charter school at Janice anymore. <laughs> but, but they don't get you can talk about the strategy you use. You you when you look at the map, if you're not when you look at the map, they just said it's easier to get out and jump behind Biden okay. there, and jump behind that ship. You're talking. There, there's two two central points that have been made here. Uh, One, let me apologize. For no, the I'm jumping. Jump. Who are you apologizing? To? I'm not calling. I'm, I'm I'm talking about the sort of argumentative strategy that was being used I'm at the time. Joking. That's all I'm saying. Sort of joking. I'm not comparing sort of joking. You to Jackson, uh, and, uh, yeah, or, no. the or the schools. charter schools. That's a low blow in terms of their morality and ethics and all of that. Just the argumentative strategy. No, but the, there is a charter school argument, right? And I have been hit with that charter school argument more than once. That. Who are you, Ben, from the north side of Chicago to tell black people on the south side of Chicago they can't go to a charter school? Which, by the way, I've never made that argument, but I've been hit with that argument many times by some of my best friends for who are state reps who supported charter schools, and I'll, I will not name them. Cause. The charter school conversation is a very loaded conversation, especially in this now that they exist, right? New Orleans had 92% charter schools when I left. It it it's loaded now because black and brown children are actually in there. So what do they do? They all close down and go back to public schools. Yeah, that's loaded too because some of them in New Orleans have. It it's a loaded conversation that it no matter what side of it you on, you could feel like you're not gonna win. Listen, I, okay, who are on charter school? I just say this to charge. My response has always been, <coughs> you got to pay your teachers. Charter schools are going on the cheap. This is we're on a tangent. We're going to get back to uh, the the. But don't but I just want to don't get me started on charter. Yeah, they get it on the cheap. And so what I would always say: Are you telling me that it makes sense a long range strategy to have black communities dependent on schools that pay their teachers less? Are you saying that that's somehow or other in the best interest 
of black students, black parents, black communities. You put that low a value. In our country, things are, me- value is me- measured by money. You know that. I think paying your teachers less is the tip, is the, is, is the tip of the iceberg. And teachers, principals, school professionals being able to organize, even in some of these charters, they don't even want the parents to organize themselves um, into PTAs or other parent advocacy groups. They, they don't even want that. So paying the teachers is the tip of the iceberg that is an enormous glacier under the water. Let's just say that. My argument against them is is in the reverse. My argument is that your results are embarrassing, that your results are pathetic. When you look at the students who are at a similar income level and compare what happens to the charter school students at a similar income level with public school students at a similar income level, the growth that the public school students get Source far above and beyond anything a charter school can do. That's where you start. Your results are pathetic. And then you get into why those results are pathetic. Oh, might it be because you're paying your teachers at 70% of what a normal CPS teacher would make, and therefore you can't keep a staff, that you have this insane turnaround where you can't even get a critical mass of institutional practice that you can pass on to the next generation of teachers because there is no generation of teachers there. It's in, out, in, and out. So, But you start with the results. In terms of college uh, persistence rates, I did an analysis of... um, the uh, noble charter chain, because I was talking with their principal and she was really toxic. Uh, what was her name? Ellen Metz. Uh, she was the pr- principal of the first noble. Mm-hmm. And now she's a, like a big wig in the larger noble network. And, and she was toxic about uh, public schools. She was talking about Clemente and Farragut and how much better her, what a great college persistence rate her kids had. And college persistence is two years into college, you're still there, right? You're persisting. And so I said, uh, look, what is your, are your kids' eighth grade explore scores when they come in? Mm. It's like an ACT equivalency test back then. They don't have to do it anymore, but it's like an ACT. And do they compare with the scores of the students that you're comparing, your, the schools that yeah. you compare yourself with? Mm-hmm. Right? And she was like, well, you know, it's like maybe a point difference. So I looked the scores up, and it wasn't a point difference. It was like a 13 to a 17 which is a world away. And so you start, I, that's why your college persistence rate is high. You start with students who are on a college-ready trajectory. Mm-hmm. But then I took, a ste- took it a step further. I took the data from all the noble chains, and I looked at their eighth-grade freshman explore scores, and they ranged from 16 to 18. That was their range. So I said, okay, now let me find all the CPS schools that also have 16 to 18 and then compare college persistence rates. Mm-hmm. So I made that list and then I sorted it. I put all the nobles and all the CPS schools and sorted it by college persistence rates. Guess what schools populated the bottom of that list? Noble. Every single one of the schools with the worst college persistence rates, when you start with the same group of freshmen, similar achieving freshmen, with freshmen were on the bottom of that list. So again, your results suck. Your results are horrible. The, the academic growth that your students undergo is far inferior to the academic growth that a public school student 
would get in a public school. And then we go, maybe that's because you don't pay your teachers enough. Maybe that's because you divert money to these management organizations instead of investing it in your students. All right, we went on a tangent here uh, <laughs> at, uh, on Digital Charters, which I could talk about all day. I wanna go back to something that you said, sure. uh, Candace, and I'll, I'll make a, a, a draw a distinction. A strategic decision by the Bernie Sanders campaign not to campaign heavily uh, in South Carolina. Uh, and uh, this is the second go around, an inability of Bernie Sanders to defeat the establishment Democrat for black votes in South Carolina. The same thing happened in 2016 with Hillary Clinton. Go I'm ahead. not gonna say that the Bernie Sanders campaign did not have a strong team in South Carolina because they did. They wouldn't have come in second if they didn't. However, what I am going to say is Biden had not even close to the amount of investment that anybody else had in South Carolina. Elizabeth Warren also had major investment in the beginning in South Carolina. Biden had more investment in South Carolina than almost anywhere else. Iowa, he had investment in. New Hampshire, not really. Not not as much as he had in South Carolina. His strategy was to place all his eggs in the basket of South Carolina. And it's also strategy, let's not fake the funk. It's also strategy that all these people are coming out of the woodworks supporting him. Let me tell y'all something, whether you know it or not, he probably had all these endorsements three or four months ago, and they decided let's throw them out at Super Tuesday or right after. That's campaign strategy like 101, ladies and gentlemen. When the iron is the hottest, that's when you strike. That, that was campaign strategy. I am saying that Clinton and Biden knew you go in early, super early to South Carolina. They went into South Carolina and made them investments as early as possible, period. And that's what they're doing all around the South. It sounds bad when I'm about to say it, but Biden has a Southern strategy, period. His strategy is to sweep all the Southern states. There you go. And it might, maybe, maybe not easier to do. I had a friend on Facebook today to say that every Biden speech is a noun, a verb, and then Barack Obama. <laughs> That's what he says. A noun, a verb, maybe an adjective, mm -hmm. and then Barack Obama. Like, that's how he gives every single speech. And to a certain extent, he's right. And for some people, that works. By the way, I'm not sure about the noun and the verb part of that. A noun, a verb, and Barack <laughs> no, I know, Obama. That, that's, uh, that's suggesting a coherence that's not only existing in a Joe Biden sentence. So I think there's Barack Obama in every sentence. There's a Barack Obama in every sentence. Yeah. And that's strategy, too. Yeah. That's strategy, too. I think that um, we're so caught up in like a presentism in politics, though. You know, because South Carolina was the last thing, so it's like there's this kind of um, attack on South Carolina, the candidates or praise of candidates based on the South Carolina strategy. But, and you alluded to the second part, though, mm -hmm. that, that, that is a bigger picture. Like, South Carolina came at a sacrifice. I read a piece where he, um, he spent no time in mm -hmm. Super Tuesday states. 
Mm-mm. While Bernie spent an incredible mm-hmm. amount Talk of about time, Biden. got it. Mm-hmm. Biden spent almost no time in Super mm-hmm. Tuesday t- states. While Bernie said, "Okay, I'll sacrifice this at the expense of spending a great deal of time in Super Tuesday states," and so we have to sort of sit back and go, "Let's see if that pays off, or if Biden's strategy of trying to win South." Carolina to create some momentum to go into Super Tuesday actually works for him. We don't know. I don't think, I think the boots on the ground in those states is going to mean a hell of a lot more than some residual impact of endorsements after South Carolina. But I could be wrong. I agree. I also think, and I've said it, Elizabeth Warren, her strategy has always been a Super Tuesday strategy. So she's going to come out today with some delegates out of today. And all of these calls for her to get out the race today is amazingly horrible to me. All right, time out. I've, I've been in the bubble, uh, so I've missed the calls that you're alluding to. I've been in, the, in this little bubble talking to people all day. Uh, I've All weekend I heard moderates saying, get Amy, get out of the race. Mayor Pete, get out of the race. Oh no, Mayor yeah. Pete and Amy needed to get out of the race. For moderates. Anybody. Yeah. For moderates. Yeah. Elizabeth Warren has money, and I'm hearing people on the so-called progressive side saying, listen, she just needs to coalesce uh, for Bernie. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, even if you are a Bernie supporter, it makes sense for her to stay in the race. If you watch that first debate with Bloomberg, Bernie didn't have to punch Bloomberg. Elizabeth did. And she punched him hard. And she has already said it makes sense for me to get these delegates because you don't want them going to where else they might go. And every Warren supporter is not a Bernie supporter. So to a certain extent, let her stay in there and be the street fighter because it makes sense. Uh, we will take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to trot out my <laughs> Michelle Goldberg theory. Uh, to Candace Castillo and Troy LaRVA. Be right back. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. And for the record, I love puppies. I think there's a lot of incentive to blow up um, disagreements in the party as like huge fights um, because I think it's important for us all to recognize and we do this in our rallies to recognize the people who have been in this fight to allow us to have this window Mm -hmm. as we do right now. You know, Nancy Pelosi, that's mama bear of the Democratic Party, you know?
Ben, stop talking about the Bulls. We're trying to do a podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. It's live from the Chicago Sun-Times. He always cracks me up when he does that, Troy. He's like, I, I, I wasn't even talking about the Bulls. Although I yeah, will. Right. Candace Castillo's dying to talk about the Bulls, but I'm saying, Candace, no, we cannot talk about the Bulls. We have to focus on politics. Candace is a huge Bulls fan, by the way. Well... Don't throw the Bulls <laughs> under the bus. Oh my God. I'm from Chicago. I'm a Bulls fan. That's like the only Chicago team I got left. Thank you for saying that you're not going to throw the Bulls. They won last night. All right. First time for everything. Yes, they won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's only it's the second time this year they've won. And they managed to win, uh, even though they have not figured out that you're supposed to throw the ball in an inbounds play to a person who wears the same color jersey that you wear. <laughs> okay, it's like a fundamental one-on-one of basketball. Like, if they're wearing the same jersey you're wearing, you give them the ball. Bulls have not quite figured that out. But, you know, what? still kind of a young season. Hang tight, non-sports fans. Before we continue here, we just want to remind everybody one more time. Tonight at the Promontory, 50. 5311 South Lake Park Avenue. It is our Super Tuesday watch party. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky along with our colleague Maya Duke-Masaba. They're going to be there at 6 p.m. tonight going until 8 tonight. Talking all things Super Tuesday as we speak. So many states are uh, voting their Democratic primary votes, and we're going to be talking all about it. Hang out with like-minded political people, or if you can't make it, well, you can check it out on the Bendrowski Show Facebook page, also the Chicago Reader Facebook page. Also, we're looking for music. Oh, yeah. Send us your music, all right? We're going to end our show with our brand new theme song that was made by Michael. Mm-hmm. Michael, thank you very much for doing that. It's a very good song. We're going to keep playing it. If you know someone who's in a band or if you make music yourself and you would love to have your music featured on the Ben Jarofsky show and if you would love to not sue us, oh my goodness, we will play <laughs> your music. Yeah, please don't sue us. <laughs> but hey, send it uh-huh. BennyJShow at gmail.com, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, show at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing you. Your tracks. You should bop that track during the breaks, man. Like doing the when we come back in. That's a good track. Oh, that man. one that we played at the top. That's a good track. Yeah. Michael, be he's a fan, thing, dude. It's, it's going to be. Remember the the one of the first times uh, Troy came on the show and you were playing some a uh, song. Fela. 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 Uh, yeah, and uh, I don't think we have the rights to play. Oh that. hell no. <laughs> <laughs> but this. <laughs> Speaking of lawsuits and music, did you hear Flavor Flav is suing yes. Bernie Sanders' yeah. campaign? Wait, is he suing Bar- Bernie Sanders' campaign? He's suing the campaign, the cease and desist plan, uh, public enemy. Yeah, I don't know if you saw that. It was a dispute that came out over a uh, an appearance. This was it a rally in California. It was a rally in California on yeah. Sunday, proving, by the P. way, he performed at the rally. Right? P.E. Everybody except for Flav. Flav. So he's suing. Uh, by the way, proving the point that Candace made. Proving the point because instead of being down, uh, well, the in primary Selma. Had, in Selma, he was in California, and uh, one could say it was a strategic move looking ahead uh, to Super Tuesday. Uh, one could say it was a bad move. I'm saying it was a strategic move. Yeah. Now, I just just say this before we move on. Full disclosure: Troy was a Bernie Sanders delegate. That's correct. Thank you, uh, Mr. Mueller, in 2016. And uh, Candace, at one point or another on the show, was articulating uh, she was feeling the Warren. Is that how you say it? The Elizabeth Warren. Uh, so just so everybody knows. I am not dedicated to anybody. As you know, I host, I co-host the show on the station with uh, Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson. 
who is a Warren supporter, and I also work for older woman Jeanette Taylor, who is a Bernie supporter. I am a child in a divorced home. <laughs> Therefore, yeah. I will advocate for whoever gets the nomination. <laughs> and, and last time you were on here, Candace, uh, you said your son was having trouble uh, finding My his candidate. My son, Jaden, is definitely having trouble finding his candidate because nobody looks like a cartoon character and nobody's a black guy. Well, I would go so far as to vote for this gentleman if he's the nominee. That's how much I uh, bleed blue. That's and, a podcast. Can you? Oh, yeah. Well, the, so people know this is a flyer <laughs> I got from Michael Bloomberg, who you talk about uh, strategy, Candace, is already sending out flyers to Illinois voters. I got this one yesterday, even though the primary is not until the 17th. Who bid it? I took my address <laughs> out of the thing. <laughs> Rip at the top. Bit it. The dog. Man, Ben was dog. a little hungry. Dog is a huge Bernie supporter and took a chomp out of it. Look, you know how I feel about the white Willie Wilson. I am not a Bloomberg supporter at all. Oh, we had hashtag White Willie going last week. I forgot about that. The White Willie Wilson. <laughs> so if uh, have you changed? If Mike Bloomberg's the Democrat, which he won't, by the way, he'll probably drop out and support Joe Biden within a week or so. But anyway, uh, if Michael Bloomberg is a nominee against Donald John Trump, will you vote for Michael Bloomberg? I'll write in State Rep. Delia Ramirez. Well, okay. Was that the answer you gave last time? I think it was. It might have been Jeanette Taylor. Taylor yeah. I don't know. Next week it'll be Troy Laravier. It might be Troy Laravier. Maybe the commish. Maybe Stacey Davis Gates. It won't be Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> what if you lived in Ohio? If I lived in Ohio? Oh yes. If you, uh, like you can afford to do that, because uh, I'm gonna write in Bernie. Uh, but if I lived in Ohio, I'd be vote. I, I would like. I have to swallow some vomit while I was doing it. <laughs> I would be voting for Michael Bloomberg. Oh. <laughs> I, I, uh, Is weed legal in Ohio? No, I don't think so. Hmm. Why? What? <laughs> yeah, wait, what's that all I about? mean, where are you going with that one? <laughs> she would have to smoke some before. Uh, yeah. Well, you could smuggle it in from Illinois. Uh, all right, now. <laughs> no. Get your thoughts on this. This uh, Michelle Goldberg is a uh, columnist for the New York Times, uh, more or less a liberal. She's uh, essentially supports Elizabeth Warren. She's been very kind of what's the word the exact word about bernie uh just doubtful skeptical about him and from the get-go uh she just doesn't think it's possible that a democratic socialist who's 78 years old i don't even know if the age matters with the democratic socialist but whatever can win and to prove her point she cited a study concocted or by, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a bad word. That's a loaded a word. Good word uh, a study a written, word. My, excuse me, uh, by two professors from the University of California. And essentially what they did is they polled 40,000 people. Dang, surveyed 40,000 people. Wow, that's a lot of people. And they came to the conclusion uh, that they found, quote, that when they weight their numbers to reflect the demographic makeup of the population rather than the likely electorate, as many polls do, Sanders beats Trump often by more than any other candidate. But follow this point. The, Democrat, the, the demographics of people who actually vote are all, almost always different from the demographic of people who can vote. 
That's where their analysis raises concerns about Sanders' choices. According to the professors, Sanders loses a significant number of swing votes to Trump, but he makes up for them in support from young people who say they won't vote or will vote third party unless Sanders is the nominee. On the surface, these Bernie or Bus voters may seem like an argument for Sanders. After all, Sanders' partisans sometimes insist that Democrats have no choice but to nominate their candidate because they'll stay home otherwise. But if the professors are right, by nominating Sanders, Democrats will be trading some of the electorate's most reliable voters for some of its least. To prevail, Democrats would need an unheard of rates of youth turnout. That doesn't necessarily mean Sanders would be worse candidate than Joe Biden, given all Biden baggage. It does mean polls might be understating, underestimating how hard it will be for Sanders to beat Trump. I've heard this argument articulated, Candace and Troy, by many moderates. The moderates say over and over that there is no way Bernie Sanders can win because he is depending on a strategy that has never worked in the annals of politics, Troy LaRavie. You mean like Obama had a strategy that never worked? <laughs> um, I would say this, um, that there's a big leap of logic in there. The one sentence in there that makes absolutely no sense is the idea of a trade, that their most reliable voters are not gonna vote. They're gonna vote, They're your most yeah, reliable, most voters. reliable <laughs> voters. You're just gonna get this other huge influx of people that would have otherwise stayed out of the process you will continue to get your most reliable voters they're not going to not vote in an election where trump could get a second term that's the leap in logic in there that just makes no sense to me and when you polled when on the exit polls right and we know people lie on the exit polls right but uh this one, when you get like 90% of our people in Iowa and 85% of people in Nevada and 90% of people in South Carolina say they're going to vote for whoever the nominee is, I don't think that they, if, if a couple of them are lying, fine. It might be 70% that's going to vote for whoever the nominee is. I think the last two presidents, two Democratic presidents have been jumps in logic and that was Barack Obama and Bill Clinton regardless if you want to take it there or not and Trump is defying logic voting for Trump defies logic period point blank and simple leaving that space empty defies logic it just doesn't make sense Bernie Sanders makes sense to a lot of black and brown people working class or working poor he just makes sense. So what doesn't make sense is her analysis. Sorry. So in other words, you don't buy the, the notion uh, that Bernie supporters who tell pollsters that, yeah, they're for Bernie, would just not show up. That, that's what they're essentially saying, that they won't show up. Push comes to shove, they won't show up. That, this is the, the I hate, to, it is a fear tactic. I wrote about this for the reader just this week. It's been on my mind. I, it's like a, a horror show. They're trying to scare Democratic voters away from Bernie. And by the way, Elizabeth Warren people out there, I just want to say this. They would be doing it to you, Candace. Uh, I know you're not a real Elizabeth Warren supporter, but they would be doing it to Elizabeth Warren if she were number one in the Absolutely. poll. Absolutely. So Elizabeth Warren Absolutely. people out there, they get kind of smug about it. Absolutely. Oh, they would be doing it to Elizabeth Warren. Yes. Absolutely. They would be do they would do it to anybody who is left of center. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Just wanted to get that one out there. And the other thing is that we just forget there's going to be 
like what six seven months of just you know uh, as, as the field narrows down there'll be several months where it's just Bernie and Trump and so all of this talk about this moderate and these two vet all that's going to end yeah all of that is going to end that's number one and number two like people are going to get a chance to hear Bernie for the first time like we know we, and it's like we think everybody hears what we hear they don't like they pay almost no people aren't paying <laughs> it, and, the, and the press doesn't cover them to yeah. the extent that we get the, the, the feeds in our Facebook so once it's just Bernie that's a valid point like he, people pe- pe- people months. fall in love people pe- people get excited about this man once they hear him and there's so many people in this country that just haven't heard him who are going to get a chance to finally can you imagine Bernie and Trump in a debate? No, oh my God, uh, Candace! Will you? And so be, people are gonna show up. Uh, will you be feeling the burn if he's the candidate? If he's the nominee? If he's feeling, if he's the nominee, I will be feeling the burn. I might even go knock on doors for Bernie. Of course, <laughs> of course, I'll knock on door, doors for Bernie. Now, what yeah. I will say: if Joe Biden is the nominee, I'm gonna hold my nose and vote. So for you're not gonna him. knock on doors for Joe Biden? I might not. So if Joe Biden, like this, that's the attitude I had about Hillary. I'm not doing that again. I would go to Ohio and knock on doors if Joe Biden. I, I we can't have Trump again. We Ruth Bader Ginsburg is not guaranteed to live another four years. For that alone, I am going to go knock on doors in Ohio and Michigan. So this period. is where Troy and I agree. I said on the last show, I pray for Ruth Bader Ginsburg just like I pray, pray for my grandmother every night, if not more. You are you are exactly. Right. You are exactly right. The courts, democracy, black folks, Latino folks cannot take another four years of Trump. And while I'm there, this black and brown divide when it comes to Bernie, it needs to stop. Yeah, talk about that. Because there, there's all these things about Latino people got it right. Like the, the Latino electorate is 10 years younger than the average black electorate. Period. They skew around 24, 25 when the average black voter skews around 34. We need to stop this whole thing of, I'm sorry, 44. We need to stop this whole thing of Latinos are getting it right and they're the new emerging uh, minority. And that's a divide that we cannot afford to to let happen. Yeah. Period. I didn't know that was out there. I, you know what? Yep. I always you know just what? thought it was older black people are leaning Biden, younger black people are Sanders. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I've heard. No, it's a new thing of it's the Latino voters getting it right. Look at Nevada. Well, okay. Look the how Nevada ones. got it right and look how South Carolina got it wrong. Wait, let me let me guess. You're reading that on Twitter feeds? No. Twitter comments? No. This was like a whole segment on a news channel ah, and I not knew. Fox <laughs> and not ah, Fox. Okay. Was it not a, Fox. Was it a news channel that Im- used to employ Chris Matthews? Yes. Ah, that <laughs> news channel. That That's news channel. Pe- Candace, you have to understand, I live in a, uh, the, the Benny bubble, which consists of old school newspapers, and I just became aware of MSNBC. I really I pay attention to I live in the Candace bubble that I go to random bars and barbershops and have conversations that scare me. And then I'm like, no, 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 all my Facebook friends, you're wrong. 
<laughs> uh, I don't know what conversations you're having at barbershops that scare you, but you know we got to end this show because I got to get over uh, to the promontory. So before we leave, uh, offer each of you an opportunity to promote something, tell people something that they should know about you. If there's anything you want to promote, you got anything you want to say? You can promote your radio show, even if it's on, even it's on the station. And fire me. Go ahead. That's how big my heart is, Candace. So listen to Sunday mornings with Brandon Johnson at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Um, we'll be talking about local politics. I get to talk about local politics on that show on WCPT, or you can watch us on Facebook Live. And um, we got to come back. I have to come back on here to talk about Kim Fox. And making sure that we get out. We'll talk about Kim Fox. Fox. You got a couple minutes. We can. Bill Conway is an actual white supremacist. We cannot afford to elect Bill Conway. Um, if we, if you worked hard on the Buy Anita campaign, Bill is bringing back Anita. He worked for Anita quite literally. We can't afford him. Chicago can't afford him, especially black and brown. Chicago can't afford him. And even if you have critiques of Kim. Let that office know that we got to get out here on March 17th and vote for Kim. So if you don't like Bernie, if you don't like Warren, if you don't like Biden, you still need to come out and vote for Kim. Try. You know what? I think I'm going to toss my last comment to echo that comment. We have to get out there and support Kim Fox. We cannot let Bill Conway be Conway or Conway um, become our next state's attorney. Um, we can't. Why do you say that? Um, his talking points. I mean, did you see his commercial when he comes when he comes in and he, and he talks about um, these offenders who are had gun offenses, and if they you have a gun fence, if you have a gun offense, you should be locked up and you shouldn't be able to get out. Like he is talking about a return to mass incarceration. He is talking about targeting, and he's using all of this subtle racist BS, like you said, real white supremacists to. Uh, stoke the fears of people about the specter, the boogeyman uh, that this country has created for the last 400 years, the specter of this black boogeyman who we need to lock away and protect you and your daughters and sons from. Uh, we can't have this man as our state's attorney. And what Chicago can't afford even more is more black and brown men being locked up for minor drug offenses and minor gun offenses. So what I say is if you want to stop that, you want to stop the bleed, get out, vote for Kim Fox on March 17th. All right, very good. We'll leave with some consensus between Troy LaRavier and Candace Casillo. I want to thank them both for coming in. Uh, Maya earlier and Miles Porter made a return today. It's good to see him. He's been a very busy guy playing baseball, going, being a young scholar. But he stopped by today. I really appreciate it. Uh, Miles, stop and wave hey to the camera yeah. there. All right. <laughs> uh, the pride and joy of Roosevelt University, the pride and joy of Evanston High School, Miles Porter. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And as Candace Castillo can tell you, he's the man who runs that board. But back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. White Lightning. <laughs> Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Downloaders, we live stream this program. It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at the Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. 
Join that YouTube channel and you can join the live stream chat room. Oh man, hang out with Jay Marie, hang out with KMA, Barry, Brianna, Steven, Jeff, and so many more. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show live stream chat. And hey, if you ever go to that, click like. Turns out uh, that helps. And subscribe. That would really help out as well. Shout out once again to Michael for our brand new theme song. Troy, La- Troy LaRavier likes it. Ben Jarofsky likes it. The, he gets the approval. Candace Castillo likes it too. And Candace Castillo likes it. We'll see you tomorrow. Take a chill pill, man. That's correct.